Chapter 10 of the Campfire Girls at Sunrise Hill. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shasta, Oakland, California. The Campfire Girls at Sunrise Hill by Margaret Vandercook. Chapter 10 Pipes of Peace. Half an hour later, Polly discovered Esther seated alone by her slowly perishing fire, taking the last stitches in Betty's rejected ceremonial dress. She had even embroidered on the left sleeve a small crown in gold-colored silk, since Betty's old title, the Princess, would scarcely be changed, whatever new names might be awarded to the other girls in their campfire. "'Where's Betty?' Polly inquired carelessly. "'I hope she wasn't cross. I suppose it was not kind of me to leave her and return another way. And she was right. It did make us late. But we had a delicious adventure.' Polly had dropped down on the ground and put her arms about her knees, slowly rocking herself back and forth, her face shining with mischief and excitement, so that her color came and went quickly, and tiny sparks appeared to dart forth from the blueness of her eyes and the blackness of her hair. But as Esther neither answered nor asked any questions, Polly stared at her in amazement. She had no particular emotion for Esther, one way or the other, perhaps because she was not yet a rival in Betty's affection. But she had always tried to make herself agreeable to her and to have her feel like one of them. Moreover, she did not enjoy being disregarded. Halfway up on her feet, a glance at Esther's face made her drop back into her old position, except that she put one hand under the girl's chin, turning her face toward her. For goodness sakes, Esther, what is the matter? she demanded. I suppose it is Betty. And Esther nodded, feeling an absurd disposition to shed actual tears of disappointment. So much had been planned for tonight's council fire, and this was the first disagreement in their camp. Should Betty fail to appear, the other girls, learning the cause, were sure to take sides, and no one would be really happy. Until Esther finished her story, Polly listened without comment, although her face flushed and her lips were pressed close together. I do think Miss McMurtry was a little hard, she said finally. It isn't fair to expect us to reform all at once, and she might remember that Betty 
has never had the discipline of having to do things when she didn't wish to before. It is different when one has been poor, isn't it, Esther? Never mind. I will do my best. Betty hasn't any right to make everybody uncomfortable just because she is offended, particularly when she has had so much to do with our plans for tonight. Polly disappeared, but when tea was served a short time later, a signal to Esther reported that she had met with no success. Betty helped with the evening work, saying nothing but looking pale and tired, so that Miss McMurtry wondered if she had been too severe. Perhaps Betty was used up by her walk. She would have liked to have talked to her, but had no opportunity, for as soon as supper was over, and three other girls always did the cleaning up, Betty immediately disappeared inside her tent, and when her three friends came in to dress for their meeting, they found her in bed, covered up with her blue blankets and not in the mood for conversation. Vainly, Molly and Esther attempted persuasion, reproaches. They received always the same answer. Fatigue and not ill-temper kept Betty from their entertainment. She was sorry, of course, but they would probably have a better time without her. Curious, but in the half-hour required by the three girls for their dressing, Polly, in spite of her promise, added not a single word of regret or entreaty in spite of Esther's pleading looks and Molly's outspoken demands that her sister exert her influence. Appearing utterly absorbed in her own costume and admiring Esther's and Molly's, Polly only shook her head. The June afternoon was a long one, so there still remained sufficient daylight for the girls to see to dress in their tent. Over the crest of Sunrise Hill, a pale crescent moon with a single star glowing beneath it had now arisen and the moonlight later on promised to be radiant. There were bursts of laughter, cries of admiration floating from one open tent to the other, and this was the first time the girls had seen one another dressed in their new costumes. Polly plaited her long hair in two braids, twining it in and out with narrow strips of bright orange ribbon, and then, around her head, she bound a broader band of ribbon the same color, with a single black feather, just above her forehead, on the left side. With her dark hair and high cheekbones, which tonight were crimson with excitement, she made an unusually picturesque Indian girl. Molly's hair was softer in texture and less heavy, so that she wore it hanging loose over her shoulders. 
At first, however, Esther's appearance was not much of a success. Although apparently lost in languor and uninterested in anything from her couch, Betty observed her, wondering what could be done. For Esther to look so awkward and plain tonight, when, as the first of their campfire girls to be raised to the rank of fire-maker, she would be the center of all eyes, did seem hardly fair. Trying to make the best of herself, and without the gift most girls have in this direction, Esther had also arranged her hair in two braids. But while her hair was thick, it was too short to be effective in this style, and parted in the middle accentuated the plainness of her long face with its irregular features, light blue eyes, and large mouth. Moreover, the bright yellow of her khaki costume, with its red fringes, gay shell and beads, made her complexion appear, in contrast, paler than ever. In despair, she was twisting a band of bright red cotton, decorated in brass spangles, about her forehead, when a cry from Polly, who happened at this moment to catch sight of her, made her drop her headdress. Stop, and don't you ever so long as you live, Esther Clark, dare to put a touch of red near your face, Polly demanded autocratically, rummaging at the same time in a small box on a table which she knew held a number of trickets belonging to Betty. The next moment, drawing forth a band of dull silver embroidery about an inch and a half wide, she crossed over to the older girl. Please, let me fix you a little differently, she urged coaxingly, beginning at once to unwind Esther's hair and combing it out over her shoulders, then loosening it in front. She put the silver band like a crown about it. Esther's hair wagged red. Of this there could be no denial. But now, unbound, it showed bright strands of gold and darker shades of red that could never have been discovered when tightly fastened to her head. Perhaps it was partly due to Polly's little act of friendliness making the other girl happier, but certainly there was a marked change for the better in Esther's appearance, so much so that Betty decided she looked almost pretty when a few moments afterwards her three friends, bidding farewell to her, went out, leaving her alone in her tent where the darkness was now closing in. In parting, Molly and Esther had added a final plea to Betty to join them, but still Polly had spoken no word. Lying alone on her couch, Betty wondered why. Of course, Polly was always being swept off her feet by new people 
and new interests and so after ten days in camp would not be so fond of her but it was odd that she cared nothing for her presence at their council fire to-night since they had planned the whole ceremony together and were to play leading parts partly to close out the moonlight which was now shining faintly inside her tent and partly to shut her ears to the voices and laughter of her friends betty turned over on her balsam pillow with her face to the tent side and there covering up her head lay perfectly still so still that she would not even put her handkerchief to her eyes although for some reason or other they were uncomfortably moist fifteen minutes passed and there was no noise of a returning footfall but presently there was a faint sweet odor in the lodge and betty heard a low call such as a boy would make on a wild reed whistle she did not stir so the sound was repeated more shrilly and by and by a pair of hands forcibly pulled the blanket down from her face there stood polly in her indian costume with her intense love for the dramatic shining in her eager face and holding above betty's head two perforated sticks one painted blue to represent the sky the other green to represent the earth and both of them decorated in tiny feathers of birds and a pair of wing-like pendants betty polly asked quietly do you remember the names of these two indian treasures and how hard we have worked to make them as like the originals as we could of course they are the calumets you are to use in the council fire ceremony tonight they are pretty betty conceded but polly had dropped down by the side of her bed they have another name betty which isn't calumets and you know it and we were to use them at our council fire tonight they are called pipes of peace and i can't very well lead a party that is to bring them to camp and also the children who are to receive them a silence in the tent then followed lasting several moments aren't you a little ashamed princess thinking of the character of our ceremony this evening not to be willing to be present it is to be war and not peace then isn't it betty laughed i only said i was tired she argued faintly i am sure no one has the least reason for thinking i am angry if i happen to prefer to rest then polly began to feel that her case was won very quietly she slipped over to a wooden dress goods box covered with bright cretonne and opening it 
drew forth the ceremonial dress so recently finished by esther then she lighted two candles on either side the table underneath their small mirror betty's headdress was there a band of her favorite blue velvet ribbon with three white feathers crossed in front catching it up polly waved it temptingly come on betty and let me help you dress everybody is waiting for us and there never was such a night but seeing that her friend still hesitated added in a tone which was a question not a reproach don't you think dear that so long as you really originated our campfire club and asked miss mcmurtry to be our guardian it is rather a pity for you to make the first break isn't one of the campfire ideas to learn to put the happiness of a good many people before our personal desires in a half minute betty was out of bed with her campfire dress nearly on if you are going to turn preacher and reform at this time of life polly o'neill then goodness knows what is to become of me once you were my partner in crime but now well it is hard to think of you even yet as saint polly and will be to the end me darling polly agreed dropping into her irish brogue from sheer pleasure that her purpose was accomplished five minutes later the two friends were hurrying forth toward a circular piece of ground some yards from their tent which to-night the girls wished known as their earth lodge there the other campfire members had already assembled with a great pile of wood in their midst waiting to be kindled End of chapter ten